and I actually know what writing a check means. Ooh, burns. Ooh. Wow. Take Millennial that check. Bank. Take that to the bank. Wow. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revival Church Podcast. I am Timothy Bain, and I'm joined today with three awesome guys. Uh, we are doing a new segment this week. It's uh, it's called Revival Church Top Ten, but we'll get to that here in a minute. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves today? Go ahead, Brother Walkstetter. I'm Tim Walkstetter. I'm the associate pastor here at Revival Church. Hey, everybody. Uh, Joel Whitley, and I am the pod pastor over here oh, sitting wow. at the middle of the table. Hey, everybody. I'm Justin. I, I'm not the pod pastor, but I am sitting over here at the corner uh, in a podcast. There you go. Technically, I think T-Bane's probably the pod pastor. We're just I think the, that's right. I prefer the pod father. But <laughs> I like that. That's good. Nah, I definitely. There's, I, I'm sure that pod pastor has probably already been taken, and pod father definitely has. There's no way. There's no way that nobody's thought of that before me. Um, but anyway. It's, it's preposterous. So how are you guys holding up in this whole quarantine mess? Y'all doing all right? We're doing we're doing staying mentally stable. Eh. Yeah. I was questionable to begin with. That's right. I'm here. You're here. God's good. God Amen. is good. That's right. Um so anyway, we're we're kinda trying we're probably gonna figure this out a little bit on the fly as far as the way that we're gonna rank these. But basically we were talking the other day about uh Bible stories that we thought were funny, and I was, I was just like, you know, we should just, we should put this into a podcast since we're doing a podcast, and I think people would be interested in hearing that. Um, so I guess basically what we're going to do, we have a list in front of us here, and we're going to start throwing them out, and then maybe we'll, by the end of this thing, we'll have kind of a ranking. Um, we do understand that this is not going to be a definitive top 10, even for us, because there's, there's humor all the way through the Bible, um, but we this is just ten that we think that we think are funny. So um anyway, let's see. Here. Yeah, we're not trying to sound sacrilegious or any of that type of thing. It's yeah. just things that as we read it and really think about the circumstances and situations in which these things were said or miracles occurred or however, it just strikes us as humorous. Right. Yeah, so I mean in other words, we're not we're not making fun of anything. This is this is humor in the sense that it it strikes a it strikes a different chord, you know, because not everything has to be so serious all and the time. It would be funny if you were there. Exactly. I mean, right. We Just, we look at all these things as if these were not real people that real things happen to, but like there's still irony in a story. There's still right. there's Absolutely. still things that actually happened that would be funny if it happened to me or if it happened to you. So well, and a lot of them. I don't know that it necessarily would be funny if you were there, but That's it fair. is funny in hindsight. So. Absolutely. So. Uh, Justin, why don't you go ahead and throw out the first one, and we'll we'll just go from there. Well, he would start with me to throw out the first <laughs> one, because the first one has nothing to do with number one, but has everything to do with number two. It is when David cuts the piece from Saul's clothes while he is using the restroom. That's a he good one. actually relieving himself. Think about that for a moment. That's crazy. You know, somehow when I was a kid in Sunday school, they, they just made it sound like he was going in to take a nap. 
Yeah. But the King James is pretty plain that he was covering his feet. And, and unless you take a nap <laughs> while you're that's what See, they that, relieving that's yourself. Humor. That's humor right there when you call something covering your feet. And I mean the the idea that you would actually get that close to a guy while he is that vulnerable is kind of amazing. Does anyone have the the reference for that? Uh that's in 1 Samuel. I didn't look that up. Uh, I want to say that's 22 or 23 of 1 Samuel. All right. Well, I'll go ahead. What what cracks me up with that story, even is just David's, for one, David's like my favorite character in the Bible, probably. Um, and so I've always loved any story having to deal with him. But he has this respect for Saul that mm-hmm. is just so through the roof. Like no one can talk bad about Saul. And he actually, he kills the guy that kills Saul in battle when the guy was just doing poor old Saul a favor. He has the utmost respect for Saul, yet he sneaks in behind him while he's using the bathroom and cuts off a piece of his clothes. And it just seems like a huge invasion of privacy and like something you would not do to someone that you really, really, really respected. And I understand the point that he was making, but that's just a very a very funny way of going about it, I suppose. Well, you know, the, the part of the thing about David that's even kind of sweet is the Bible said afterwards that it, his heart smote him that he had even touched the Lord's anointed, yeah. that he had not he had not killed this man, which he could have easily done, but here instead he just embarrasses him, and then later he feels bad that he embarrassed the man that is actually trying to assassinate him and kill him. Um, it's you know, yeah, fair point. But he still wanted to let him know that he could. No, he, yeah. he, he wanted to let him, could, yeah, <laughs> as he's yeah. holding up the piece, yelling at him across the valley. When, it, when you were talking just now and uh, you said the thing about how he wasn't supposed to touch God's anointed and all of that, like he still didn't, he could have just as easily like taken a lock of his hair or something like that, you know, but instead he took something from his clothes, which still wasn't him physically, mm-hmm. you know, just interesting. Well, to me. something that's funny to me is that like with this whole thing, let's be honest, they're out in the middle of the wilderness somewhere David's hiding and he goes into a cave. This is a very quiet place. This is not, you know, he didn't have music playing in the background. It he was a quiet place. He wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> it was previously a quiet place. <laughs> he wasn't, as far as I know, reading a book or a scroll. He wasn't playing on his phone. <laughs> and this, this was probably, this was probably something He's going in there. They're on a trip. He's on his way in and out quickly, and that's it. And David has to be so quiet in order to be able to do something like that. There are no distractions. You are right. in a quiet cave, yep. and you think you're alone. The slightest creak or sound would have given David away. And to get that close to someone when they are that vulnerable is just incredible. He's a bad man. Just yeah, first scene of 24 is what we're looking at. What did you say? Sorry. It's First Samuel twenty four. First Samuel twenty four. Uh, yeah. But so he, it, it it looks like you know he he had found him in this cave, and it looks like he had sort of trapped him there, and so instead he, like I said, very vulnerable, hilarious. Just imagine yourself in that. I mean, really, imagine yourself as David in this cave, as the king who is trying to kill you, is relieving himself. 
And as Joel said, you cannot make a sound. And he's relieving himself. Yeah, David apparently is actually in the cave. It, he and mm-hmm. David and his men remained in the sides of the cave when the guy comes in. So he, he kind of, he's, he's hiding and Saul kind of bungles into the wrong place to have priva- privacy. But of course, is anything but. Which is ironic. No That's but. another ironic part of the story is that he goes into the cave to have privacy. And the guy that you consider, Saul considers his greatest enemy, has a front row seat. Yeah. It's like that is the opposite of privacy. privacy. Yeah. You've made yourself vulnerable to the person that for in a normal circumstance would want to kill you. Yeah. All right. So that one at number ten, it's got it's got irony. It's got bathroom humor, which is I'm not above it. I'm not. I'm mad I don't enough think to any of us that. are actually above it. Uh, Don't act like you are either out there. Exactly. Um, out there in, in radio land. Um, what else? What else? We got we got irony and bathroom humor and, and just some in revenge in kind of a strange way. Mm-hmm. The fear um, of death. But not taking it too far. Right. I mean, they, it's, there is a limitation even on the revenge that he seeks. All right. Joel, you think you got the one that can beat that? Um. I actually had that one in my honorable mentions. Me too. Hmm, so we were close. I had that one in my honorable mentions. Yeah, that was an honorable mention for me too. It's good, but I think they're better. I actually had it in my honorable mentions, and right before we started, I switched it Scooted up. Scooted it up. So for me, this is kind of um, a broad. I'm painting with a broad brush here. But for me, it's some of the passive-aggressive com- conversations that happen in Scripture. And... You know, it's hard when you read it. Some of it's up to interpretation. But when you go to read some of these things in Scripture, the way they can come off to you uh, can, you know, and it may just be the way I read it or the way someone else reads it. The story I think of, though, is the woman at the well. And um, Jesus is having this conversation with her. And I think the reason I like this, too, is because it's Jesus. Um, And we take him as very... uh, stoic and all that stuff all the time and just to maybe see that something could have gotten under his skin uh kind of i like it it makes me laugh um but so this woman says to him jesus says if you knew who it was that you were talking to you would ask me for a drink that you would never thirst again and she she possibly gets smart with him and says well give me to drink of this water sir just almost sarcasm in her voice and in the next sentence, Jesus says, you know what? Just go get your husband. And she says, but I don't have a husband. He said, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. Gotcha. It's like, boom, boom. gotcha. Hello. Bam. And I've just, that, that cracks me up. That, and no, I don't know that that is actually how it went. But when you read it, you can see how a conversation, a back and forth could go like that. And this woman says something and smarts off to Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, you think you got me? Trump card. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Go I, get your husband. I, I agree. That's a pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, he, he definitely laid, threw down the gauntlet with that one. Um, and then there's other ones that are kind of like that, too, like uh, the, the guy that Jesus heals, the blind guy. And... Uh, the Pharisees come up to him and they're like, how'd you get healed? And he said, well, Jesus, well, he, he said, I don't even know who healed me. He was like, they, the, the guy healed me and, and 
you'll have to go talk to him about all that. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to really nail him down with all this stuff. And, and they keep asking him the same questions over and over and he's getting frustrated. They ask his parents and his parents won't, won't say nothing either. Yeah, they, they, they basically cop out by saying, we know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind, but we don't really know what happened. We're out of that. Yeah. Because they, they went up to them and they were like, you know, was it, was he really, really, like, was he really that's blind? Funny to He's me. been yeah. faking really his whole life. You people are a bunch of fakers. <laughs> this dude is in his 40s, and he's been stumbling around and tripping over things all his life. You set this, this guy 40 up 40 years. Yeah, that's uh, that would be some kind of a practical joke. But uh, April Fools. They <laughs> they get they go on and on and on with it, and they finally they're they're talking to this guy, and uh, by the end he's like, you know. I, I, you guys must want to be his disciples. That's what's going on here. I know that, you know, I know that there's no way you would be asking me all these questions if you weren't just really into this Jesus guy. And then they kick him out of church forever. Yeah. So, talking about pushing the wrong button. Yeah. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple? It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, this is something I don't have on my list. But as you were going through that story, it's funny. They said, "Oh, this guy's been faking for forty years." That's the most. Re- that might be one of the top ridiculous statements in the Bible. What's that? This guy has been faking being blind. There's some things you can fake. Being blind is not a very easy one to do. Yes. Not for forty maybe years. Five minutes. Maybe yeah, exactly. Five minutes. Especially back then, because like we don't think about physical deformities the same way now that they did back then. Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, because like nowadays, if you're blind. It's, you know, it's obviously going to be difficult for you and everything, but the world is kind of formed in such a way to where we make we make allowances for di- for people with disabilities. Yes. But back then you didn't. So well, it would not be in your best interest to fake being blind. People out of places for having disabilities. Because right. They you weren't, weren't allowed in the temple and all that kind of stuff. Right. So you're just you're sitting outside. And Plus you can't work. Which is another ironic part of that story because he probably wasn't allowed to go into the temple in the first place, and, and then, the, then he finally gets healed. He can go into the temple, and then they kick him out. Okay, that that moved it up a notch. Yeah, I that, think that's that's, that's pretty good. A few yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Joel just hit himself. In the face. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> just that one worried can make about Joel. For all I care, for okay. all I care. No, I didn't actually have that as a. As one of our stories, I had passive aggressive comments, but that as a story, yeah, just just yeah, made, top to bottom, that's yeah, pretty yeah, good. That's I that's think I'm gonna have somewhere. to change mine because that was the one that I wanted to do. I like I like that a lot. That's funny. All right, have that's we spoken good. our piece on that? Do we need to go to the I, next I, one? I, I liked it. Y'all ready? All right, brother walks there. Let's hit it. Hit um, number eight. I think that uh, again the the entire situation of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Uh, there from First Kings chapter 18, where they're meeting up there at Mount Carmel, and it's a very serious situation. And in the midst of all of this, is kind of that passive-aggressive stuff, where in the midst of the sacrifice that the prophets of Baal are making, the prophets of the grove, these hundreds of guys dancing around and screaming, the Bible lets us understand that Elijah begins to publicly mock them and their gods, 
and begin to say, well, he's a God, and so he's talking, he's pursuing, he's in a journey, he's sleeping and must be awakened. And, and he does that, and then they, they take it up a notch. They've already been doing this for hours. And so for the, like the next three hours, the Bible says they cried aloud and cut themselves in the manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out with them. So here are guys in the midst of a drought anyway that's gone on for three and a half years, uh, like 900 people screaming and gushing. Gush, blood is gushing out of them as he's mocking them. And then, and then later, it's like, okay, he has his peace, and he calls down fire from heaven. We all know that story. And then he says, okay, I think we've all made our decision. You know, you've halted between two opinions for too long enough, and, and they wouldn't say anything at the beginning. He said, okay, now, if, if uh, God's God, let's go, let's go take these guys out, which apparently it must be a whole lot easier to take out these uh, 950 false prophets at that point in time because they're Lost exhausted. Buckets of blood. Yeah, buckets That's what of- I was going to say. Well, and this, how long did this, what was the period of time that this took place over? Was it, day? Was it all in one day? It's all in one day, apparently. Okay. It starts in the morning from what it says, and then it goes up to the evening sacrifice, which apparently is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon from what I understand. So you start at probably dawn or at least by 9 o'clock, you've got this thing rocking and rolling. For like six hours, these guys are dancing around screaming, and nothing has happened. And then, you know, afterward, afterwards, he is able to call down fire from heaven. And then, of course, moves in directly from that into uh, not just calling down fire from heaven, but now calling down rain from heaven. And then, and then of course, that doesn't really even seem to stop Jezebel, which, of course, is kind of the, the bummer of the story. It doesn't really accomplish what he wanted it to accomplish. But it, just the, the idea of these guys dancing around for, for six hours, screaming, uh, cutting themselves, has always been kind of one of those funny things to well, me. Have you ever like when you when you read it like that and you're just kind of telling the story and you really embellish on some of the details? You ever told a joke that you just realized about halfway through that it went too far, or you were in on a, a prank or something that you realized like <laughs> this just went too far? We shouldn't have Not done me. this. <laughs> I remember the brownies. Um, <laughs> you're too invested at that point. In time. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, not Elijah has none of that. It's like. These people have been at it for hours. He no. says, you know what? Maybe you should get a little louder. You should get a little crazier. And they're cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place. I mean, he uses and the he word just gushed. I mean, it's, it does. It, it literally, King James uses the word gushed. So it, it, it's, you know. If you have been dancing and bleeding nonstop for six hours, yeah, you're probably tired enough. You're probably tired enough that when people yeah. say, hey, let's, let's take them out, it's like, and please, and Elijah's <laughs> and Elijah's not like, you know what? I feel bad for these poor folks. I I may have gone too far with this. No, he kills them at the end. Kicks no, he kills them. Kills which yeah. is even funnier when you're thinking about this because they spend hours torturing themselves before they're executed. Absolutely, he didn't even have to do it. He doesn't even have to torture them. No, they, they, do it they, all they basically they are tormenting themselves. They torture themselves and weaken themselves, and then Elijah proves his point. The Latin his proves his point. That's the last thing they ever see, and then he kills them. And remember, this is at a time of famine and thirst for three and a half years. Yeah. So they're they're dancing around on top of this mountain for six hours without 
a, a ready supply of water too. So it's just, like I said, it's, it's a terrible, horrible situation that I find humorous, <laughs> which says something awful about me. I know, folks, but don't judge. When you said that they were thirsty, and then when it's Elijah's turn, he's like, yeah, bring in all this water and just <laughs> <laughs> pour it on the ground. Pour, pour, pour it, pour on it the all the way around the, the altar. We're going to find the little water that we can. All these people that are just covered in dried blood and their mouths are dry. <laughs> just, just watching him pour it all over the ground. <laughs> It's terrible. It's good stuff. So it's oh me. That was that was my number ten. All right. So so we're on to number seven now, huh? Right. Okay. All right. Pretty good. Okay. I think I think Joseph with the baker and the cupbearer. That's the one I had next to. Is probably my number seven, just because. Uh, <laughs> I had one really, pretty high up the list. This this story this story is so I I love that it made it into the Bible because it, it's just, it, it, it seems like something that would be in another, in a movie of some kind or something. You We're know? in Genesis chapter 40. Yeah. And, uh, basically Joseph, he, he's, he's reading people's dreams in prison. He's gone through all the stuff with his brothers and all that. And he finally makes it to prison and the cupbearer and the baker come up to him with these dreams and the, the cupbearer, he, he tells them, "Oh yeah, you're about to be you're about to be restored to your old job. You're about to be right back on top of things, and everything's gonna be hunky dory for you." And then the baker comes up to him. He's like, "Oh, do me next. What's mine?" And then, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's he says, uh, "What what is it that he says to the cupbearer?" He so says, "The uh, cupbearer." He says, um, "In this interpretation, the three branches are three days." Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. And the best part about that is when he's talking to the baker, he says... He's <laughs> yeah, the, it, it actually says that the baker saw the interpretation as good. So the only reason he chimed in was because he thought he was going to get some, a good word. It's like, I need a word from the Lord. <laughs> Can I have a word from the Lord Pastor? And, and he give you a word, but it's totally different than the word he gave the guy right before you because you're in a totally different situation. And so what does he say there, Joel? He says, he said, and this is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee <laughs> and shall hang thee on a tree. And the bird shall eat the flesh from off thee. Yeah, we're get, the good news is you're getting your head lifted up. The bad news is your body will not be attached to it at the time. It's just like, it's, it's, it's so funny because I, I guess, I mean, out of all the ways Joseph could have worded it, he words it exactly the same, has the baker just yes. sitting on pins and needles and is from off the from off the <laughs> and honestly if you read the dreams the baker had to know there was something up basically the first dream the butler there's a vine and the vine starts to bud and there's three buds and it's just all oh, it's just this beautiful thing this this life giving well the baker he had three baskets on his head and it said that the baskets were white and then the birds came and took everything out of the baskets on his head they begin like, to they begin to pick stuff out of it. And you got to know, hey, you know what? I'm good. Just don't tell me the dream. I'm okay. Well, and they were both, I think 
it it goes back to what Walkstutter was saying because like they were both pretty troubled by their dreams to yeah, begin with. That's true. Like that was the problem. But it, and the cupbearer was the one that was curious enough to ask Joseph. So when Joseph gave him a good thing, the baker was like, "Oh, well, maybe it ain't so bad." <laughs> well, it was. And it's kind of it's really the first time Joseph doesn't just dream. We we know him as a dreamer, but this is the first time he actually shows the interpretation of dreams. Right. right. He never really says like when he has a dream that he is able to interpret it. Now, it, it seems fairly obvious when you tell it in the context. Everybody knows what he's talking about when he talks about the, the dreams with his right. brothers and then later with his brothers and his father and, and what they call mother, which is uh, you know probably Leah at that point because Rachel's dead. But the idea that now he has the ability to interpret dreams is something he must have picked up like in Egypt and that type of thing. So it's 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 full of latent with irony in regards yeah. to that. And then this guy becomes a contact. This this butler becomes the contact. And you also have to wonder because for someone who had dreamed and gotten in trouble for dreaming and all those types of things, um, and he probably thinks he knows what the interpretation of what his dream means, but it has not come to fruition. In fact, he's as far from it as he can possibly be. The fact that he has the confidence. Yeah. To interpret others' dreams. Yeah, he said the, he actually saw the butler, and the butler was looking sad, according right. to what it says. And he said, why, why are you so sad today? And he said, because I had this dream, and I don't know what it means. He said, well, God God can tell you what it means, and so tell me what it is. And and he told him. And then, of course, the the baker said, you don't do me, you don't do me. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, me next, me, me next. next, me next. <laughs> That, that did not go how you thought it was going to go. Yeah, that's again, it's terrible, but it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Hard to miss the irony. You got to wonder though. After that, little the the next three days, how awkward it had to be in those jail cells. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true, <laughs> sure. isn't it? I haven't really thought about that's, that. That's for sure. It's like three days. It's like you know, every time you hear, like within three days, this is going to happen. Every time they hear the clank, one guy's excited, the other guy's full of dread at that point. Well, and I, I don't know how close the cupbearer and the baker were, but if you're the cupbearer, you, you kind of got to try. To, hang on. You kind of got to try to hamper down the excitement that you got a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. It's Maybe this guy doesn't right. know what he's talking about <laughs> as you're packing your bags. You also got to also gotta think about this part of it. So they're in, Joseph tells them the dreams, and then there's this three-day waiting period. Well, in this three-day waiting period, at some point, Joseph goes to the butler and says, hey, remember me. But he didn't say anything to the baker. It's like, <laughs> Don't bother. It's like, hey, buddy, <laughs> we all know what's going to happen to you. Me and this guy are going to have a private conversation. Uh, excuse me. Oh, man. Yeah, that, I probably don't know what I'm talking about. Let me talk to this guy over here by just ourselves. Just in case I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that what was that? Was that six? Or was that was six seven. seven. That was six. So we're on to five. So go ahead, and Justin. I had this a little far up, but to me, it's a pretty funny story. So I'm going to go ahead and and talk about the story of Eglon. Mm. I had that pretty high up on my this list. This is actually too. six. This yeah, this is number six. six. So so here's the story of of Eglon. All right, the Bible says that the children of Israel had served the king of the Moabites, Eglon, for 18 years. They'd been under this guy's rule. 
And if you know anything about egg long, is he was he was kind of shaped like an egg as well. He was an he was an egg long because he was what? very fat man, right? Wow, wow, mind blown. He teacher. went there. All this right, I did, I did Absolutely. go there. But the Bible says he was a very fat man, and 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 normally I wouldn't talk about people's weights. I I know that we're all pretty self conscious of that, but it plays a part in the story. It's a very important part of the story because what ends up happening is God's going to raise a, up a judge essentially. Um, and his name is Ehud. And the Bible says that Ehud makes him a dagger with two edges, so like a double-edged sword, a double-edged blade that was a cubit length. And he hides it under his, his raiment upon his right thigh, and he goes to King Eglon. And essentially, when he gets there, he, he, he's going to trick him. The Bible says that when he came into him, King Eglong, he's sitting in a summer parlor. So he, he's, he's out and he's enjoying this summer, this summer weather, and he's got the guards and things around him. And he, so he made this all for himself. Just a fat guy, probably sitting there. He's probably not eating Ho-Hos and Oreos, but it's probably something pretty close to it at the time. And so Ehud comes up to him and says, hey, I got a message from God. And so, and so this fat guy's in a summer parlor, <laughs> and, and this, this guy comes and says, hey, I got a message from God. And so the Bible says he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his hand, his left hand, but as he's putting forth his left hand, he takes the dagger from his right thigh, and he thirsted it, the Bible says, or thrust it, into, <laughs> he thrust it into Eglon's belly. Yeah. And the Bible says that the half went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, which means basically <laughs> his stomach just... Close your ears, kids. So we're talking about a blade that's 18, approximately 18 inches long, more like a sword. A and you, you, you don't even cut the guy all the way through. You cut him probably about halfway through. Right. So he's probably got a pretty... Pretty large gut on And then his belly just eats the his sword. His belly just eats <laughs> the sword. And the Bible wow. says that Ehud couldn't take the blade out. <laughs> so you know he tried. You, you know <laughs> he's, he's, he's sitting there trying. He's trying to take this sword out. And it's not working. And the Bible says he even said the dirt came out. Okay. So, uh, again, this is not a pleasant sight. Unnecessary. And so Ehud. I think I see a pattern the, the, in Justin's. Well, you should, see my, you should see my number one. I'm just saying. All right, so then Ehud. Enough of number two. <laughs> the the, oh, the Bible says he leaves through the through the front porch and shuts the doors of the parlor and he locks them. And when he was gone out, the servants come in and when they look at Eklon, they, well, the doors well, they, are locked. They, they wait for a long time, right? They wait until they're the time where they would no longer be embarrassed, or they were embarrassed because he's in there. Apparently, what they're thinking is like Saul relieving yes, himself. They think he's relieving himself. So, <laughs> so by the time they get there, this guy is dead. Well, it's because you know, because they think he's going to the bathroom because it smells bad, and he's the king. <laughs> so, he's the king. Obviously, if you step in on the king while he's using the restroom, you're probably going to get killed. So they wait a long time because they, you know, it's yeah. like at what point do you think ah, there's probably something actually wrong? You and, know? and part of the thing, of course, is that. Ehud is left-handed, which is really strange because apparently from the, from the Hebrew here, being left-handed means he's not right-handed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it's quite possible that something had happened to his right hand, which is like maybe it had been crushed or something along that line, uh, or a, a birth deformity, so that you didn't think this guy was a threat, which is kind of maybe why they allowed 
Ehud in the presence of this, this guy in the presence of Ehud in just a closed situation, even though he is a foreign, he could be potentially, obviously a foreign spy or a foreign assassin. Uh, that he had smuggled in this sword and his, his right thigh. And so, you know, he pulls out the left hand instead, which is, you know, that's leftist was supposed to be like, like reserved, obviously, for you always extended right hands to people and left hands mm-hmm. is for, for other jobs. Right. Okay, speaking of Justin's theme, for <laughs> other jobs. <laughs> and you never use the left hand for anything. And here, here he uses that left hand. To take him out, take out the waste. What? what? And this is a this is a perfect example of uh, just how the Bible is not boring. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because like I, I feel like a lot of people miss out on uh, on what is actually going on in this book because there there's there's so much more than just John three sixteen. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just I just imagine the belly being like sword. I want to eat you. I want to eat Get you. in my belly. <laughs> oh my wow. Well, you know, if it's a, I, I think if you look at the uh, circumference and all that sort of stuff, it's like he'd have to have a, a a a weight of like like sixty inches, which I mean, in those, you know, waist of like sixty right. inches for, for to be able to 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 really pull all that off the way that it describes it. So the moral of the story is, if, if you're a hefty person and someone comes to your house trying to give you a message from the Lord. And they're left-handed. And they're, and left-handed. they're left-handed. Do not, do not, do not let him in. They were, surprisingly, there is biblical precedent for, for, not, for not introducing introducing that person into your home. Exactly. So, okay. Exactly. Key words here are metal detectors. Metal detectors. <laughs> All right. All right. Hang on. So we've got five left, right? That was number six. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll hit the next five. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. And that, my friends, wraps up episode two of the Revival Church podcast. Uh, We're moving right along with this thing. And as I'm sure you've noticed by now, this is going to be a two-part episode. So you'll have to tune in next time for the top five of the Revival Church top 10 funniest Bible stories. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Hit subscribe on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. You can give us an email at revivalchurchpodcast at gmail.com. And also be on the lookout for our social media pages that are going to be coming. We'll be on Facebook and Instagram and whatever else we can come up with. Um, Recommend us to a friend. The gift of a podcast recommendation is uh, pretty cheap. So uh, so, uh, you can be a hero anyway. So, uh, and also, it's uh, going to be Father's Day this weekend, so happy Father's Day to any fathers that may be out there listening. Um, we, uh, we appreciate you so much and everything that you do. Um, and until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. See you later.